Hi, I am Tunde Kainde. I am the CEO of Lydia. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Tunde. Thank you. Glad to be speaking to you. So tell me a little bit about Lydia's fintech hustle and uh, you know how all the other startups you've been involved with, not least Jumia, have led you to your current business focus. Sure. I know. Thanks for the question. Yeah, we I, with Lydia, we're aiming to solve the access to finance challenge, not just in Africa, but across emerging markets. So helping small businesses access credits quickly and in a very customer friendly and inspiring way. And to be honest, a lot of the work we've done in the past has, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself, my team, my business partner, Archin, uh, has really prepared us for what we do today. So I'll even go back a bit further than our experience with ACE, and I'll bring it full circle. So over the last four years, um, between myself and my business partner, Urchin, we've now worked with well over 10,000 small businesses in Nigeria alone. So from our- So you've had the same team all these years? <laughs> Um, more or less, more or less. So myself and Urchin have always been together the last four years in terms of- No new friends, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) We we make new friends. We like new friends, but, uh, we keep this, we keep the team the same. Um, so we, I used to run Jumia here in Nigeria, co-founded a business with, um, a classmate of mine from HBS, Harvard Business School, Raphael, which is where I met Urchin, who was our chief operating officer for Jumia Africa. And we were helping with Jumia, small businesses, retail goods and services. We left to co-found ACE to help those same small businesses deliver packages across the country, uh, collect cash payments and track the entire experience. So we've now worked with businesses across multiple sectors. Um, and so we have an in-depth understanding of what it takes for a small business to succeed in this market. And we kept seeing the same challenge where they would always struggle to scale because they never had consistent access to finance, to buy more inventory, improve their businesses. And so that's why we started Lydia. Now, on the logistics side, and to be honest, on the overall e-commerce side, why I say it's prepared us is we do or did a lot of work with pay on delivery. So what that means is for Andile, um, I have to be very clear before I ship any package out of my warehouse that you want the package because almost a hundred percent of these goods are pay on delivery. So are you clear on what you're ordering? Are you clear on how you're going to pay for it? Where are you going to be on the day of delivery? Can I find you? Uh, when, once I get to you, are you a safe person? Is my driver safe in your uh, vicinity? Once I collect the cash payments, can I get it to my warehouse safely? Can I get it from there to the bank? and then do all that and reconcile in a very customer-friendly way, typically within 24 hours. So there's a lot of assessment done in that process. And so we learned a lot about customer assessments, um, training and assessing a small business, and also delivering a fantastic solution in an environment where you're dealing with constant infrastructure challenges, very minimal data, um, but still customers that demand the same world-class experience. So you're clearly bullish on Africa's future and the role of tech in helping us get where we'd all like to see the continent go in terms of progress. But I personally can't stand the the lazy and frankly dangerous oversimplification uh, that's frequently made about Africa leapfrogging technology because of trends like mobile adoption and things like that. How do you navigate that sort of thing and avoid falling prey to oversimplification? The way we view things, and this is, look, after close to five years being on the ground building businesses is... 
Um, I think one main point and our thesis on how we view opportunity is we're at the stage as a continent where we need to focus on the key pillars of an economy and building those things before you can do other things on top. So for me, um, the sectors that require the most focus now are healthcare, education, power, infrastructure, access to finance, and which I guess also, also under infrastructure logistics, because without those fundamental pillars, it's tough to build things on top, right? So it's tough to build uh, e-commerce that can be considered nice to have in some cases. It's tough to build things around entertainment. And so when you look through that lens, I think Africa is a huge opportunity. And, and the beauty of, of those opportunities is if you are thinking of building, you know, put in brackets, the anything of the future, the bank of the future, the uh, logistics player of the future, the school of the future, if you had a complete blank slate and didn't have any infrastructure or technology debt, you'd come to Africa first because you have a large market of people who need these services because they are fundamental pillars of any economy and they are very willing to adopt new technology to satisfy those needs. And you also have to have, to have a lens where, look, a purely online or purely offline approach is most likely not going to work. And so when you look at it that way, how would you design and deliver your solution to the customer? So that's the way we look at things, and that's what excites us to wake up every single day and go after this problem. Okay, so look, let's be honest. We were sold a pretty big story about e-commerce, how it was just going to take off in Nigeria, even here in South Africa, um, in other parts of the continent. And that just didn't happen. I mean, if you think, you know, three, four, even five years ago, we, you know, the story was just everywhere. Like e-commerce was just going to explode. Um, that hasn't happened in quite the way um, some of the proponents of e-commerce had hoped, probably you perhaps on some level, um, but, uh, you know, perhaps explain why y you think e-commerce hasn't delivered, uh, given, you know, your, your participation in, in one of the biggest e-commerce players on the continent, Jumia. No, it's a really strong question and a really good point. I mean, for us, yeah, there's been a very big evolution in our thought process. I mean, I will say when you look at Jumia, it's been a very big success for the continent, right? Because you went from having zero about four years ago, five years ago, and now you have a business that's doing close to half a billion dollars in gross merchandise values, employing thousands of people around the continent. But the reality is you're also having to build a lot of the infrastructure that supports a retailer. And so that's building your own payments, building your own, building your own logistics, uh, in some cases, your own customer service and marketing. So your scope tends to be more than it would be in a developed world. And so clearly when you just, or rather, if you just read uh, any report that says, look, Africa is large, Africa has a very young population, they are adapt adopting technology a lot. One thing you realize very quickly once you're on the ground is you have to localize your solution. And that's why we introduce things like pay on delivery. That's why you're seeing multiple um, technology companies introducing things like their own payments because your vision might stay consistent. Look, I want to deliver world-class retail. I want to deliver world-class logistics. I want to deliver world-class uh, financing. But it's also very clear you have to localize that delivery and that means that you also have to go beyond your scope so so long way of saying look 
Do I believe the customer is here? Yes. Do I believe they will adopt technology to solve their solution? Yes. But I also believe that you will not succeed if you try and just adopt a developed market solution. You have to localize and you have to go beyond your scope to succeed here. So what do you think is a healthy outlook to have when starting up on the continent or investing in Africa? Is part of the problem that the actors in the ecosystem are all chasing big short-term wins you know, the sort of wins that come in the form of massive exits, for example? So for me, when I think of business as an opportunity, I think it's very important to be clear up front what you're trying to achieve. So for any entrepreneurs or any of my friends who look at businesses or jobs or whatever it is in your life, I think it's clear to set expectations. So, and also to be clear on what's a success for you. So if you're investing in the content, you say, look, my overall vision is to be, you know, the dominant retailer or the dominant financier or dominant logistics player, but also a part of my motivation is to create lots of jobs, to bring skills to the continent, to also be a good actor in the ecosystem. Um, as long as that vision is clear for you and you're happy to make the investments to at achieve that vision, I think what you realize very quickly is a number of the folks that have thrived don't mind making those investments because what they do understand is once you've built that infrastructure, typically what happens is people ne will then need to ride on your infrastructure to also achieve success. So then it begins to look very similar to what's happening around the world when you look at the amount of investments that folks like Amazon have made into the U.S. system or folks like Alibaba or folks like Snapdeal uh, in India because clearly now those businesses after 10, 20 years of investments are now be, are now changing the way we look at logistics. So it's clear now that most likely retailers of the future will look to partner with Amazon to, live, to deliver their goods and services or to access their cloud. Same thing in China with Alibaba, same thing in India with Snapdeal or I guess Amazon to an extent. So if you are clear on your journey and what you are trying to achieve, I don't think you mind those investments because uh, you're kind of focused on the end goal. So how do you keep your investors enthused over at Lydia, you know, without selling them an unsustainable growth story? Is, you know, this idea of multi-market expansion a, a sensible story for every startup to be selling these days? You know, because it, it does seem that's one of the things you might need to to sort of sell to an investor, particularly foreign investors, in order to keep them interested. So to be honest, not really. I mean, because for us, we've set out from day one and it's been clear to everyone that has worked with us, look, we want to build very big, impactful businesses. That's what motivates us every single day. And that we want that impact to be in as many markets to as many customers as we can reach. Um, and so that's how we've always communicated everything we're trying to do. Now, we're also very conscious of the fact that, look, you have to consistently deliver a winning solution to your customer. And your customer is very focused on that solution being relevant for them. Right. So uh, it's clear that, look, it doesn't make sense to go on a global expansion spree if you're not solving a big problem at home. But what's also clear is there is a big opportunity, depending on the opportunity you're going after, to dominate markets that are wide open for you. Right. So it's always staged. So you can say, look, in 10 years, I want to be the biggest financier of emerging mar of uh, small businesses across emerging markets. But I'm starting here in Nigeria. And as I look to expand into new markets, most likely I'll have to tweak how I look at my 
assessment, I'll have to maybe tweak how I look at the local team on the ground, but the fundamental vision stays the same. When a small business entrepreneur is looking for their next bit of financing to buy more inventory, to take their business to the next level, they look to Lydia first. Now, your countryman, uh, Iroko founder Jason Njoku, is famous or infamous, depending how you look at it, for his Lagos first leanings, you know. So in your view, is pursuing significant local success, is that what is key to achieving readiness to grow into other markets? And do you think that investors who see that as a signal of investability, do you think they're right? You know, it's funny, I'm smiling because that's the reality, right? I mean, but to be honest, I think the beauty of that is as long as you have strength in your convictions, that's fine. Because what you also want is to achieve whatever vision you have. And that might be to say, look, and nothing is, there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's just down to whatever it is you're trying to achieve personally, right? What's your ambition? Some folks say, look, I'm very happy with my business being local. I want to dominate in Nigeria. I want to own 100% of the business. So that then requires a different kind of investor and a different timeline for your business. But what I do like is having frank conversations up front with your partners because to achieve what you want to achieve, you are going to need support from a great team internally, from fantastic investors and partners. And so it's good up front to know, look, I don't invest in businesses that look to go global. Or I do invest in businesses that only go global. And then you then can then have an honest assessment internally as an entrepreneur to say, look, I am aligned with this person and it makes sense to partner to go further or not. Right. So I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's always clear to understand the mandates of both businesses and then work with the person that's aligned with you. Because startups are very hard. Right. So you want to make sure that you guys have a clear alignment from day one. Let's talk about your sense about this term impact. Now, I feel like it's frequently misused, even bastardized, I reckon, by, you know, proponents of foreign aid. So in your own mind, how do you define it? And how do you and your team at Lydia look to promote this idea of impact? So I'll talk about my personal story a bit, because it really helps to shape how I think about impact. So both of my parents are entrepreneurs. Uh, my mo- for as long as I can remember, my mother and father have both run their own businesses, and it's how they put myself and my siblings through school, right? And and if I look at the opportunities I've had in my life and what motivates me, almost everything came from those experiences, like seeing my mother, quote unquote, pivot her business several times from a video game rental shop to a, a bakery to a local food, fast food location, and my dad and his engineering firm. And I just saw how difficult it is in an emerging market to scale your business, right? Where do you get your next uh, form of financing? How do you find your customers? How do you market? But they managed to figure it out. And they've given myself and my siblings a platform through great education to do more in our lives, right? And so for me, I'm very motivated by helping small business entrepreneurs achieve success. Like, because I've just seen what that has done materially in my life, right? With the kind of schools and folks I'm able to interact with. And so that's what motivates me. So for me, what's a success and what impact is, is I get so excited when I see one of our borrowers smile and say, look, you gave me a chance, right? I've been running this business for the last five years or six years. It's been consistent. I've made some income. But when I've turned to different forms of financing, I've always been turned down. 
either I'm too small, I don't have the right documentation, or they want collateral that I just don't have. But you guys were able to assess me in one day, give me a facility, and I grew 20% month on month. I hired two more employees. I took on an extra job I didn't know if I would be able to afford to take. That's what motivates me, right? So help helping folks grow their businesses, hire more staff, and ultimately take better care of your family. Because I see myself um, as a child of that entrepreneur uh, who's trying to make it. So that's impact for me. Have you seen this impact thing work against the very, you know, the very thing we all want to see, which is socioeconomic progress? I mean, that's what finance is supposed to deliver through supporting startups and SMEs. But have you seen it, this impact idea sort of work against that? Ultimately, I do believe that the private sector not only drives innovation, but having a sustainable business that does make revenue, that does have profitability, it will attract investment. And when you attract investment, you're able to get a fantastic team. You're able to achieve our vision, which is get more capital into the market and really create something that will last the test of time. Because sometimes the argument that's made against impact is, look, if you just give someone a check, you're not really teaching them how to become a better business owner or a better um, entrepreneur. And so we focus a lot on not just lending, but also on building you a credit score. So that Andele can say, look, I am AAA with Lydia. I have taken three or four facilities. I've always paid back on time. And that credit score, not only will you unlock higher offers or better interest rates with us, but it will also unlock potentially opportunities outside of Lydia. So why can't you take that credit score to your landlord when you're looking to rent your next location or to your supplier when you're looking to import some goods and services or to your insurance company when you're looking to get a better rate on your next policy? So for us, the idea is, of course, we want you to be able to create jobs, etc., but we also need you to be sustainable so that we can help you unlock more opportunity. Right. So make a case for fintech being a key impact play, you know, impact in the proper sense, of course. I really believe that with innovation and the level of, even though it can be a cliche word, disruption is happening around the world, you will end up creating new pockets of jobs and wealth creation that were not necessarily there before. And that will then do a couple of things, right? So if naturally, you will have a number of new dominant players, but those players irregardless, right, as they go on their, you know, world domination spree, they will be, for instance, look at the case of Amazon, right, building warehouses around the entire world. And those warehouses will create jobs. They will employ people, right? If you look at what happens when a merchant who traditionally you could not afford to get a location in a mall, but now you can literally sit in your house in your and have your items stored in your living room and now be a seller to customers around the world, right? That does not necessarily fit the traditional definition of impact, but it is having impact because it's helping you to create income where you might not have had that opportunity before. And so inevitably, when you look at the finance space, and to be honest, it's part of the opportunity we see, right? So with the level of innovation, particularly with fintech, right? You're literally saying, look, in most emerging markets, we don't have that history of credit data and credit bureaus we can tap into like the US or Europe has, where if Tunde shows up today, I've never met him before, I can tap into his credit history and I can decide if he's credit worthy or not. So you're having to look at alternative sources of data that then can be used to assess and then will unlock opportunity for millions of people. And I believe that's a good thing. 
And so what's going to end up happening is once this once it becomes clearer to the world that look, you can assess credit in Africa, you can assess credit in parts of Asia that you didn't think there would be before, inevitably that's going to unlock more investment into the continent, it's going to unlock open up things that were traditionally tough to work with, right? So it goes beyond just lending. Now you can actually decide you're going to rent out a space to someone because based on their credit history, uh, you know they will pay you back because they've had a history of doing it before. Or instead of asking for cash up front for an inventory purchase, why can't I give you 90 days to pay me, uh, which materially opens up cash flow for a small business. So for us, I look at impact going beyond just I'm donating stuff to you. Impact can be as simple as, look, I have assessed you as a credit. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a facility up front or take a location up front and pay me over a period of time. And with that opportunity, you can now create jobs, make income, and grow your economies. And how big is the problem Lydia is looking to solve? The estimate is that the small business credit gap in Nigeria alone is $30 billion. Right. Just think of that. Right. If that gets solved, what is the impact? Right. And we, and we, we're arguing a lot about, or not rather, we're discussing a lot about what's impact, what's not impact. If you can just say, look, you know what? I'll be able to provide this capital into this market. What does that mean in terms of your growth rate? What does that mean in terms of diversifying your economy? What does that mean in terms of local communities where the local entrepreneur can now say, look, I am going to invest in agriculture. I'm going to invest in consumer goods or whatever it is. You will see a material difference in how these economies are growing and how long they can sustain their growth, right? Because we've seen the impact of, look, maybe I'm relying too much on commodities. And as those rise and fall, my economy also rises, rises and falls. And so... There is a huge opportunity in what we're doing. And I think it's an important thing that a lot of people need to focus on and try and solve. I have to be honest. I'd hate to be a financial incumbent, uh, you know, like a big bank or something right now because, yeah, it's rough in these streets. And what do you make of startup plays that are breaking into the finance space, you know, via everything from e-commerce to lighting up off-grid homes? Tell me about the competition in that space and who do you think will outlive everyone else and sort of dominate? Because it seems everything seems to be a fintech play of some kind right now. Mm, very good point. Yeah, I think almost everything you can think about will inv- or rather will need some sort of financing, right? Yeah, so a lot of these businesses will view themselves as fintech players. Um, I mean, I think what will happen is is just natural competition dynamics, right? So it's uh, those that are the best at what they do will hopefully attract the most capital, get the best teams, deliver the best solutions, and ultimately win. And those that are not will not make it. And I think it's fine that not everybody makes it because one thing I've found is the more folks you have in a market, it makes everyone's lives easier when it comes to things like raising money and getting the right investors, right? Because you can almost argue, I'm sure the Uber guys and Lyft guys will say, look, I'm glad we both had each other. Because then you can say, look, it's it's raising awareness on the opportunity. It's attracting investment to the opportunity. And then may the best person win. So for us, <laughs> you're not just saying that, right? Um, no, I mean, to be honest, I think competition brings, brings out the best of you. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it does because it, it never, we competed quite aggressively, um, for both in both, uh, Jumia also with Ace against a number of players. And I think it just, and I was funny, I was chatting with one of my friends who's a CEO of a large fast food business last week and he said, look, it makes you really innovate and gets you to the core of what exactly is my value proposition. 
right? And how can I deliver that in a way that my customer keeps coming back, they tell their friends, etc. And so if you have people pushing you, like constantly fighting for arguably the same customer, pushing you to innovate, pushing you to become your best, I think you'll end up having the best solutions at the best value for money pricing for the customer. And then naturally over time, consolidation, consolidation will happen. It's natural, right? You see, you, you see that across the entire world. You're seeing it now more in the states where a number of the fintech players who reach some sort of scale, uh, the big banks are now beginning to pay attention, right? So JP Morgan just announced a pretty big deal for WePay. You're seeing folks partnering with folks like OnDeck in the states. So it will happen. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to compete. I think what's key is what's in the best interest of the customer and are we solving that problem? So for us, what we focus exclusively on small businesses, right? So that's all we, because that's the customer we know is who we've intimately worked with over the last few years. And so our value proposition is, look, Mr. or Miss Small Business Owner, if you apply for a facility today on Lydia, I'll be able to get you an answer and funding within one day. That's our value proposition. And so how much do you guys typically lend? So it depends on the quality of the credit. Now, just to give you an example, we financed um, facilities as low as $150 worth equivalent in local Naira. We've also done facilities above 30000 Naira. Right? Sorry, $30,000. And all this is within one day. And when you think about the impact of that, right? Because for most small businesses to go through traditional sources of financing, typically, and this is around the world, this is not only in Africa, it's typically, look, the amount you're looking for is too small because most banks, because of the brick and mortar approach, struggle to make money off loans that are typically less than $100,000. Look, it'll take me two months to take you through my internal processes. And even then it might be a no. And guess what? You have to also bring some collateral to back against the loan, right? So when you can say with your data, once I can access the right data on your business, I can get you an answer in a day. And for your second loan, it will be hours. For your future loans, it could be minutes. That's our value proposition. So how do you deliver on that proposition? And I mean, how on earth are you able to successfully vet your prospects, manage your risk, and then even turn a profit? No, great question. And I guess it kind of goes into the quote-unquote secret sauce a bit, but I'll give you a Oh, no. no. No, <laughs> Don't no, compromise fine. your internal NDA situation. I okay. know, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'll give you a sense. I mean, so for... Okay, good. So, so, so for us, we are using close to 100 different data points uh, today. And what we're trying to understand is what's your income profile? So how much do you actually make and how long have you made that income over a particular period of time. And we're also looking at when we're layering on data, which lets us understand your willingness to repay. So things like, are you a registered business? Um, How long have you run that business? Um, What are the kind of industries or customers you work with? Things like that. So we can get a strong sense of, look, here's your capacity from a debt standpoint and here's our strong sense of how much you are if you're willing to repay us right and because the idea here is to really be your financier over time and not to over lever you and you can't really repay us back so short short term it's to say look we give you an answer and financing in a day but long term the real value proposition is going to be we're building you a credit score that can unlock opportunity for your you even outside the lydia ecosystem 
because we all know if you're in most parts of the world, your credit score is it's key, right? It helps you get a mortgage. It helps you access uh, a loan for your school. It helps you do a variety of things. We want to bring that same trust and transparency to the African markets and then use that to unlock opportunity. Because a lot of times what really impacts access to investment or access to opportunity is just opaqueness. So when folks are looking to invest in a company on the continent, they just don't know. And so when you can say, look, here is a credit score that I trust. Here is a history on a customer that I trust. I can now begin to take risk and give opportunity. That, that's a material thing for our market. And, and to your point on competition, it's a very interesting point, actually, because we view our competition, to be honest, it doesn't really... It's not really the traditional banks. We end up working a lot with banks to say, look, how can we partner to deliver goods and services? It's not really microfinance institutions because the loan sizes they give tend to be more consumer-focused and really tiny. It really ends up being either my partner enterprises. So maybe I'm a distributor for a large, large consumer goods company. I've been buying for them for a long period of time. And then they say, look, you know what, Andele, you're a good customer of mine. I will give you 30 days or 60 days to pay me or take some more inventory. But it doesn't really scale because it's not really their core competency to manage a loan book. Or I'm then pushed to family and friends who it's ad hoc. The pricing is not really beneficial or reflects me as a good actor. So it's, how can I put it? It's not the traditional competition you think about, which is why you're seeing a number of fintech players coming into the space and seeing so much white space um, around this. Now, the founding teams of the likes of Paga, Paystack, Flutterwave, now they're all trending at the moment, I'd say, in, t- in fintech terms, at least Nigerian fintech terms. Uh, so yeah, I'm curious, what's the vibe between you guys? Is it super competitive or, or maybe you guys might be quietly forming some kind of secret fintech society? You know, a, co- a cooperative cartel that, that might worry some, uh, some major incumbents. What's it like? Yeah, I know it's interesting. Those guys are all my friends and, and they're all, they're all very good guys. I'm really proud of the work they're doing. Um, so, I've just found, and I think most founders around the world will say this is, inevitably, most businesses are known for one main thing. Inevitably, right? So Google, no matter what they've tried to do over time, the bread and butter is search, right? Same thing with Facebook. They've tried to do different things. It's your social media, your social graph. I think Amazon has been able to create a a number of businesses around cloud. And 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 so my sense is, look, inevitably, as founders, our DNA is to innovate, to try new things, to take risks. So do I expect all those folks to try new things around payments? Yes. But I do expect that as they scale, they'll inevitably still stay close to home. Because they're all still just scratching the surface of their opportunity. It's, it's literally, I mean, you made the point earlier about, look, is the, what exactly is the internet penetration? They're still scratching the surface. And so I expect them to stay there for a, 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 at least for the majority of what they do for a while to come. Do you think Paga, Flutterwave and them are, are, are secretly plotting to take you on in the lending space anytime soon? Inevitably, folks try different things. I mean, Amazon, no one knows this, but they have one of the biggest lending books in the world. But I don't think they would consider themselves to be a bank. So I think folks will inevitably try things. But what I've just found is that focus on that staying close to the core 
just helps you to scale so much faster. And then you can then be a real partner. Either it's to your small businesses who are taking the loans or it's to some of these enterprises to say, look, we go faster if we work together. So what's your sense of the progress we're making in terms of getting offshore investors? In fact, not just offshore investors, investors in general, locally as well. Um, but offshore, I think of, you know, even diasporans who, who might have, you know, might approach the, the continent or might have previously approached the continent as some sort of novelty concept in terms of investment. Um, are, are we seeing progress in terms of Africa being seen as a serious investment destination? No, very, very interesting question. I mean, uh, and I'll, I'll give you two concrete answers, or rather one concrete and one just overall my thoughts. So on the one, on the one concrete, I do get a stronger and stronger sense all the time that people are looking at Africa more and more, right? Because I think it's really folks are beginning to wake up and say, look, you know what? If I look at where I'm going to succeed and get a return, uh, you can argue that, look, the U.S. and most of the developed world, I mean, the returns will get more and more capped over time and competition is, is quite fierce. Um, you can argue that, look, if I haven't made it big in China or most of Asia, um, that opportunity is gone. So maybe I look at India, maybe I look at Southeast Asia, but there's, again, there's tons of competition going into those markets. And so Africa really and truly is the final frontier. Right. And there's so much white space around things that we're looking to do. I mean, we, we discussed earlier as those big, those big pillars. I mean, healthcare, education, access to finance, power, infrastructure. Those are massive, massive opportunities, right? Massive. Our job here on the continent is to make it easy for capital to come in and create the envir environment where capital feels welcome, but also it's also regulated and watched so that we can still get the benefits and deliver a solution to our citizens. And for us, we see that seriousness in, look, you're seeing big deals now getting done for the likes of Flutterway, for Paga, for BitPesa, for Paystack. And us, a few of our investors, I mean, we've raised money from Axion. They're one of the premier fintech investors worldwide. We've raised, we've raised money from Nigel Morris through his New It Capital Fund. Nigel founded Capital One, right? He is literally one of the, if I think the only founder of a large bank in the U.S. that's still alive, right? I mean, and he's done fintech investing now across the world, and he's in all the biggest fintech players. And so that shows you the level and quality of investors that we're getting into the continent. And from my, and from my own personal social circle, I mean, I went back last year for my five-year re reunion for business school. And it was interesting to see now that folks are doing different things with their lives, right? So some folks are corporate, some folks are in financial institutions, some folks went the entrepreneurial route. And I got so much interest in what you're doing is so interesting, right? Because you're literally taking a blank slate and you're now saying, how do I recreate this industry? Like, think about it, right? If you had the opportunity today to build a bank from scratch, wouldn't that excite you? And, and that translates so much into the quality of talent that looks to work with us, right? We have folks in our office who I think they're about close to six different nationalities, right? So these are folks that have gone to some of the best schools around the world and are looking to say, look, I want to come and solve this problem. How do you get credit to somebody who has no credit score in one day? Right. Like we just hired a guy who's a Nigerian, just moved back to this, to the country from Stanford. He did a PhD in chemical engineering and is going to be working with us on, on data and, and gathering alternative data to do credit assessment. I mean, he, he can work for anybody. Literally, he can work for anybody around the entire world. 
and is coming to solve this problem with us here at Lydia. So to your point, I think people are waking up to say, look, there's something happening here. Let me get involved. Now, I'd like you to speak to potential investors listening to us right now, particularly the ones who like what they're hearing and think they might throw you some shekels, perhaps even peanuts to get their skin in the game. Um, please set them straight. Give them a sense of the audacity of your aspirations and why you probably only want to take meetings with serious, serious investors. You have a number of folks who will listen. I mean, one thing I've learned and I tell all my friends and when I talk to other entrepreneurs I, I look up to is, I think the very first point for everybody is to really define what's a success for you, right? So I have a number of friends who say, look, I'm look for me, a nice lifestyle business where I control my own destiny. I make enough to cover myself and take care of my family, you know, is enough for me, right? So, and other, other folks have different aspirations. I think in this life we lead, you know, you have one life. So you should figure out very clearly what's a success for you and then work accordingly, right? And, and run your own race. I think it's important to make that, um, point. And for me and on our team, we're not really motivated by, we're motivated by delivering and helping the continent move forward. That's what, that's what excites us, right? Uh, overall. Now, what's very clear, we're very, very ambitious and we want to build a impactful and big business. We want to be the dominant player when it comes to small business financing in emerging markets. That's clear. And to solve that in Nigeria alone means that we need to have a big chunk of this $30 billion gap. To solve that in emerging markets, we'd have a big chunk of this $3 trillion gap. That's clear. And so what that says to us is even if I, if we do a billion dollars in financing, we're, we're not even scratching the surface, right? And so we make it very clear to everyone we work with, our investors, our team members from day one, we want to be the dominant player. A billion dollars financing will not be enough because the customers need more than that. So that's, that gives you some context. Well, I reckon that's as good a place as any to end it. It's been, um, a great treat listening to your take on things. Um, we certainly wish you and the team at Lydia all the best. Be sure to keep us posted on interesting developments, yeah? Excellent. No, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing great, great work. Let's all move our continent together um, for the better.